Thank you for listening to Be Happy, Healthy and Wealthy. On this episode, I'll be talking about stress. What happened to the body and how to use adaptogen. So today is a very interesting topic because I've just seen a patient who's got this condition where the stress hormone is low. So hence, I wanted to explore about this and just talk to my audience about what actually happened to the body. Now, a lot of doctors actually may not understand uh, this condition and hence, I want to talk about it to give an awareness to not just medical professional, but also to our audience who are a bit more proactive in learning the uh, physical side of what happened under stress to the body. It's very interesting. So I just want to uh, talk about what I've learned uh, over the years about this topic and why is it so crucial. But I'll be talking about some of the adaptogen that you could use in brief form because I don't want it to be too long because this topic is so big and I could just go into a rabbit hole to explain a lot of this. But I'm just going to give an overview. And most importantly, it's things that I find it very fascinating. Now, what I want to highlight is about stress. Stress can happen to so many people. And is uh, we need some stress to be able to do things. So like, for example, the stress and the pressure from gravity to help us to form better bones. So for example, if you don't have stress from gravity, you are not able to have strong bones and hence uh, astronauts uh, without uh, treatment or gravity treatment in the space, they can have problems with osteoporosis. So stress are important, but too much stress can cause major, major problem. So I'm going to explain a bit more about some uh, basic things. So what, what are the stresses you could get? Some of the ex examples are environmental stresses, like work, stress from home, neighborhood, from your home situation, house, and residential area. Now, there could be major life events like change of job, exams, uh, challenges, bankruptcy, financial situation or recessions or financial issues. But other issues like trauma, abuse, ang anger outbursts, scolding, sexual abuse in childhood, all this can have impact on the body. And if this can be persisting, then it can cause a lot of problems physically to our body and to our immune system, to even our heart and uh, other issues in the system, which I will mention briefly. Now, individual <coughs> differences in, in this can have an impact. For example, different people perceive stress differently. Okay, so genetic makeup, how we develop over the years and ex our experiences also can make uh, big differences how we respond and perceive to stress. Sometimes we perceive it as threat and we become helpless 
or we can be too vigilant and we become too stressed to the point that we get anxiety problem. And again, we can have two responses. One is the physiological responses where our body changes. And also we can have behavioral changes, which is fight or flight response. So again, personal changes to our behavior can be influenced by our diet and it can affect our smoking history, drinking alcohol history, drug usage, and how we use exercises or uh, physical exercises. So I think what we want to do here is to understand that the more we know how to achieve the stability in surviving stress is where we will be more successful. So hence, we need to understand how to survive. And it is very critical uh, to how we survive the stress. So we've got our stress system. Our stress system in our body protects the body by responding to internal and external stress. So we've got our own internal system like autonomic nervous system, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, our cardiovascular metabolic system, and our immune system. Now we will be talking about allostatic load, which is the price of the accommodation to stress when tear that results from chronic overactivity or underactivity or of the allostatic system. Okay, allostasis means the ability to achieve stability through change and which is critical to survival. So when we receive the allostasis, then we then form adaptations. Then we're able to overcome some of this allostatic load. Our, phys our physiological response are very important to our physiological stresses. And hence, um, it can also have impact on our economy. So as you know, the economic, economic impact of stress, for example, job turnover, cost of prescription drugs, workers' compensation, and also absenteeism. Now, we want to talk about adrenal glands. So this is the major gland in our body that uh, will, will secrete the stress hormone. So the adrenal hormone functions are very important. First and foremost, cortisol hormone, which only produced in the adrenal glands. It's one of, we call it the stress hormone. It regulates uh, a protein, carbohydrates, lipids, and nucleic acid metabolism. It can elevate the blood glucose and elevate blood pressure, and it can increase protein catabolism or breaking down, and it inhibits the protein synthesis. So cortisol, it's anti-inflammatory. It suppresses the cytokine. It uh, decreases the antibody production. It suppresses the release of growth hormone. It can cause bone loss. It increases gastric acid production and inhibits production of nucleic acid except the liver RNA. It mobilizes fatty acid as well. So it's like the hormone that is important in your fight and flight situation. Now, adrenal hormones uh, like ADHA is also very important. ADHA stands for dehydroepiadronesterone. So it's a precursor to sex hormone. It is the most abundant hormone produced by the adrenal cortex. It actually activates endothelial nitric oxide synthetase. 
and directly inhibits the NMDA and GABA receptors in the brain and it lowers cortisol. So the DHA is very important. It's anti-atherogenic. Atherogenic means the clogging up the artery. Lower the triglycerides, improve insulin sensitivity, promote sense of well-being, neuroprotective, maintain tissue strength and repair, direct action on immune cells and promotes grown, grow, bone growth. So all these hormones has got a normal diurnal hormone release. That means it go up in the morning and it goes down in the evening. In a normal response, you get the stressor, which is come from the activities. The stress hormone goes up, which is a physiological response. Then in a normal response, the body goes through recovery and the stress hormone goes down. But unfortunately, our body has got response to different allostatic loads. Now, there are few response which could be pathological. For example, our hormones go through repeated heats which means you get several repetition of stress coming through with time. So the, the response is we can have a peak and drop down, peak and drop down. So you've got this zigzag, zigzag, up, down, up, down. And with this repeated stress hormone, then over time, uh, our body can respond that way. Sometimes where there's lack of adaptation, where the stress hormone go up and down, go up and down on the same peak level, but with lack of adaptation, the stress hormone over time goes down and the peaks goes even lower as if that little jump go lower and lower and lower to the point that it becomes flattened. Now, another pathological response would be when the stress hormones have a prolonged response where the activity causes the stress, it goes up, but then it stays up for a very long time because there's no recovery timing and that prolonged response or duration cause a lot of issues and another one is over time uh, or for unknown reasons our body just can't respond to it even with stress the stress hormone will not go up we just flatten out like a little platoon and what happened is that it, it's got inadequate response it just stays low over time even despite uh, going through stress and uh, that's what we don't want to see at times, okay? What, what we mean is <clears throat> when the allostatic loads becomes too much, the HBA axis, which is our hypothalamus pituitary axis, has been overworked and it fails to shut off because of a stressful events uh, or when the normal compensatory system overreacts, Okay. So over what we call all this is what we call beyond adrenal fatigue. So adrenal glands become so fatigued to the point that it, it has its own response where there is lack of cortisol hormone being released. So what happened is it's a combination of the hypothalamus, pituitary gland and adrenal glands axis, where with all this allostatic load, it causes dysfunction you cause the excess of cortisol level to go up and sooner or later the body has got a protective mechanism that's to the point that it starts shrinking the hypothalamus and reduce the effects into the adrenal glands and what it causes is the cortisol hormone start to decrease without any reason. Some people say that it's our brain had enough to the point that too much stress 
has caused a circuit stoppage where the hypothalamus had enough, it starts shrinking and those cells there start uh, causing issues to the adrenal glands and the adrenal glands stop producing uh, a good amount of cortisol level. So sooner or later, there's just low level of stress hormone, which means we call it hypocortisolism. It's, um, like I say, it's, uh, it causes the hippocampus to be atrophic, which means it starts shrinking. It causes down regulation of the target receptors. And then the adrenal glands also becomes atrophic, which means it's going to start shrinking. And what happens is it reduces the tissue sensitivity to glucocorticoids, which is the stress hormone. And over time, it goes through uh, a stage one, then stage two, then stage three, to the point that it becomes failure. We call it the progression of stages of adrenal exhaustion. So these will be mediated, obviously, by the stresses, the duration, and the severity. Sometimes it also can be due to the individual coping mechanism, uh, due to genetic as well, and obviously gender, female more predisposed than male. Other developmental factors, like for example, that can cause stress dysfunction is prenatal stress, you know, and childhood stress, personality like people with low self-esteem, high external control and introversion. What are the physiological consequences of low cortisolism <clears throat> or hypocortisolism? It can cause adrenal dysfunction, and then it can affect your immune system, your central nervous system, your hormone system, the heart system, and reproductive system. So in immune system dysfunction, it causes uh, inadequate white cells tracking, inability to, fence, to defend against pathogens, and uh, it causes elevation and immune mediators, for example, uh, all these in inflammatory cells or mediators like interleukin-6, interleukin-10, uh, the balance uh, or imbalance of that, TNF-alpha, which is a big issue, prostaglandins, lymphocytes, natricular cells, any antibodies and thyroantibodies. So all this has got this loss of negative feedback from cortisol and it results in the rise of your stress hormone or the not stress hormone, the catecholamines, okay, production, and it causes the overdrive of the sympathetic system, which is sympathetic means the uh, stress uh, flight and fight system. It can affect your memory, and uh, a lot of people have seen that uh, the changes in the amygdala, it causes emotional instability. Uh, in the prefrontal cortex, it affects the executive decision-making. In the hypothalamus, uh, it's been related to chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. In the hippocampus, it causes memory dysfunction. And in the uh, heart and hormone system, it causes the progression of the atherosclerosis, which can increase the risk of heart attack and congestive heart failure. It can also elevate the inflammatory markers like the PA1 and fibrinogen and CRP. It also causes endothelial dysfunction, hypertension, and insulin resistance and causing high blood sugar level. 
If you see a lot of people growing white hair, usually it's due to stress. Okay, so the symptoms of triad of hypocortisolism is you get uh, pain, fatigue, stress sensitivity, which all lead to condition like fat chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Symptoms like fever, fatigue, weakness, myalgia, abdominal pain, vomiting, low blood pressure, irritability, restless, and weight loss. Symptoms can include difficulty in waking up, low energy, um, and you can have, obviously, uh, intolerance to just carbohydrates, uh, consumption, uh, salt craving, sugar craving, and a lot of intolerance to emotional stress. Other disease states can be associated with this, like asthma, allergies, atopy, malignancy, which is cancer, cardiovascular disease, chronic pain syndrome, autoimmune diseases, irritable bowel syndrome, sleep disorder, and neurological disorder. It can also, which we have mentioned earlier on, related to chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, mood disorders like PTSD, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and eating disorder. So numerous studies been found in chronic fatigue syndrome confirmed the presence of low cortisol level. It blunted uh, cortisol response to stimulation, and obviously there'll be abnormal diurnal cortisol release patterns, okay? Studies have shown improvement in symptoms with administration of low-dose cortisone, hydrocortisone treatment, okay? So the diagnosis can be quite hard. You can't just rely on just one serum cortisol level. So um, they are also talking about the uh, difficulties with uh, the accuracy of diagnosis. We're using urine cortisol level. So what uh, some of the tests been done, it's salivary cortisol has been proven to be useful. And especially if there is full testing of cortisol in a day using salivary level. So if there's a loss of the diurnal changes, then uh, that will confirm hypocortisolism, which means low cortisol level, okay? We also want to talk about uh, some of the stress and immune brain connection. As you know, uh, with all this stress, it can cause neuro excitation, then neurodegenerative changes, and then changes to the structural plasticity of the brain. In the immune system side as well, you can see the change of uh, T helper 1, T helper 2, and T helper 17 imbalances, and it causes effects and problems to the innate immunity and obviously to the microglia activation. Microglia is like the white cells in the brain that is important in mopping up abnormal changes in the brain. So if there's problem with the microgli microglia cells, then you have problems where the cancer cells, cell changes in the brain cannot be detected and obviously increase the risk of brain tumor. So as we know, the uh, effects of cortisol and the hypo hippocampus. So repeated stress affect the brain function, especially the hippocampus and high co concentration of cortisol on the NMDA receptors, it has caused obviously memory issues and uh, also uh, the damage may exacerbate stress by preventing access to information. 
needed to decide on a situation which obviously can cause the problem with decision making and it can inhibit the response of the HPA axis to stress. Okay, which I've mentioned earlier on, hippocampus can start shrinking in long-term stress. And the other one is, as I mentioned about NMDA receptors, the neuron needs to protect themselves from the excitotoxic effects of glutamate by reducing their input surface area. Hence, uh, that's how the brain tried to protect itself. Uh, I'm not going to talk about neurogenesis at the moment uh, because it's quite a long story about it, but I'd like to focus on the brain immune interface. Okay, Stress comes in and it can affect the brain substance, which I've mentioned earlier on, which can affect the vagal uh, stimulation and effects on the brain spinal cord and the brain stem. It can affect the immune system like the thymus, the immune cells and the microglia and the bone marrow. Uh, what can happen as well, it can affect the balance, which I've mentioned about the balance of uh, T helper cells 1, T helper cells 2, and T helper cells 17, and the eye regulators. So, uh, is, as you know, uh, TNF-alpha is a big influence in the inflammation system in our body. And uh, the more TNF-alphas, the more problem we'll get. And TNF-alphas, obviously, is exacerbated by the stress. So what happened in, in cortisol uh, issues or chronic stress? Uh, it can affect diabetes, inflammation, Alzheimer's disease, thyroid disorder, can cause cancer, autoimmune diseases, and neurological disorders, including heart disease as well. So TNF-alpha's effects from all this increased inflammation and the immune dysfunction caused by uh, chronic stress, uh, it can cause inflammation like in rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease. It can cause atherosclerosis by increasing LDL, reduce HDL, uh, cause uh, increased uh, lipoprotein A and increase CRP and increase triglyceride. It can increase insulin resistance, elevating the insulin and uh, increase uh, CRP. It can cause dementia, causing inflammatory cells and also effects on the microglia, which I've mentioned earlier on. Obesity, because it can affect the metabolic uh, system in the body and causing metabolic syndrome. Uh, again, related to some of the hormones and insulin resistance and which I've mentioned early on, it can affect the immune function and causing autoimmune diseases. Uh, TNF-alpha also uh, cause problem in the interleukin-6, uh, which can increase fatigue, increase cortisol, and then decrease it over time, increase sleep disturbances, and reduce concentration. So hence, it's important that we understand about this and effects on cancer cells as well. They have mentioned about different things in the neurodegenerative uh, changes in depression, but I'm not going to go into the uh, system about kynurin and also quinolinates. Okay, but maybe next time I'll discuss a bit more about it in the future. Now, uh, with regards to stress, emotion and the heart, as you know, the heart communicates with the brain and the body in four ways. Neurological communication through the nervous system, 
You've got your biophysical communication using pulse wave. We also got biochemical communication using hormone system and also energetic communication using electromagnetic fields. So it's quite interesting. And uh, the, the, the key concept here is we want to understand about the resting heart rate and the heart rate variability. Now, what happens is when you get stress, you get sympathetic overdrive. Sympathetic means the fight and flight response, okay? It direct innovates the synonotes, which is the uh, pacemaker in the, in the heart. And it, what it does, that it elevates the resting heart rate, okay? And the increased uh, sympathetic nervous system uh, can be due to affective disorder, chronic stress, and neural inflammation. So separate uh, studies have also shown that the risk of developing heart disease is significantly increased for people who impulsively vent their anger, as well as those who tend to repress their angry feelings, okay? As you know, depression is linked to reduced adherence to treatment regimes. It can increase pre prevalence of smoking and diabetes. It can cause platelet dysfunction and coagulation problem. It can increase inflammatory processes, alter the HPA axis, and also increase inflammation and plux ruptures. Okay. Depression caused the reduced vagal tone and increase inflammation in the body. And what happened is, like what I've said earlier, increase the interleukin 6, DNF alpha, which is one of the inflammatory cells, or it, it, we call it inflammatory uh, messengers. Increase CRP, fibrinogen, increase resting heart rate, and decrease heart rate variability. And one of the important things is about longevity. So as you know, small mammals that have rapid heart rates have shorter life expectancy. Larger mammals that have slower heart rates have correspondingly higher life expectancies, okay? So among nearly all mammals, life expectancy is close to 2 billion heartbeats, okay? So obviously, um, investigators have been able to increase survival in animal models by deliberately slowing the heart rate. So that's why beta blocker has uh, managed to reduce mortality in survivals of people with heart attack. So as we know, uh, the heart rate normally varies with your respiration. The heart rate accelerates or goes up with inhalation and it decreases with exhalation when you breathe out, okay? And uh, it's been found that decreased heart rate variability is linked to cardiac events and mortality. And uh, among healthy elderly subjects enrolled in the Framingham Heart Studies, decreased heart rate variability is associated with increased major cardiac events. So you really want to have a, a good heart rate variability, okay? So these decreased vagal tone and uh, heart rate variability can occur in, BT, in people with obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, depression, anxiety, heart failure, and peripheral vascular disease. Peripheral vascular disease means a uh, problem with circulation to the lower legs or to the periphery uh, limbs. So what we want is, uh, what are the nutrient supports for stress? 
So an overview would be vitamin C, B vitamins, calcium and magnesium, zinc, selenium, copper, sodium, manganese, 5-HTP, L-theanine, which spells it L, big L, and dash, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E, -E, rhodiola, magnolia, or philodendron, or phosphorylated serine, or zizifis. Okay, so let's talk about magnesium. So magnesium is so important because it actually participates in 300 enzymatic reaction in the body. 50% stores in bones, 50% in, inside the cells and trace amount in the blood. So that's why serum me measurements is less accurate than the intracellular magnesium. Poor diet can give you problem with magnesium and it can cause uh, autonomic dysfunction and also altered insulin metabolism. It also link, uh, if it's low magnesium, it's also linked with coronary artery disease, hypertension, arrhythmia, which means people with abnormal heart rhythm, uh, diabetes, uh, eye problem, retinopathy, neuropathy means nerve problems, and nephropathy means kidney problem. So the function of magnesium is very important. It's muscle relaxant. Is a calcium channel blockers. It reduces platelets aggregation. It thins the blood. It blocks cal calcium uptake. It relaxes blood vessels and it improves cardiac contractility, which is then increased oxygen oxygenation of the heart. Okay. So you can have uh, magnesium repl repletion, which is three hundred to eight hundred milligrams per day. It's in the better absorbed forms would be magnesium citrate, magnesium glycinate, magnesium taurate, and magnesium malate. Uh, magnesium carbonate and oxide not as effective at repleting the magnesium status. Now we talk about magnolia. Magnolia is an anti-anxiety and anti-stress uh, drug which is similar to benzodiazepine but not sedating. It also has antidepressive uh, or antidepressant properties. It has been shown to normalize high cortisol level and the DHEA, um, and it's got very low side effects profile. So the dose is one capsule, TID. And in subjects with uh, studies on magnolia, it shows that it reduced 37% of morning salivary cortisol. It also increased the salivary DHEA, okay? So altinin is actually a green tea contains uh, a one to three percent uh, altinin. Uh, it's been used to relax and it's anti-anxiety effects. Okay, it's an analog of glutamate, so it's a protective effect on neural excitotoxicity, and it reduces the ischemic neuronal death uh, in the uh, forebrain of the animal models. It also uh, has got antagonistic effects on the glutamate and on the N-methyl-D aspartate, which is NMDA receptors, which is what has been the hype in the news. It reduces norepinephrine levels and decreases systolic and diastolic blood pressure, and it suppresses the stimulating effects of caffeine. So altine is very good. It's an amino acid found in green tea. It increases GABA effect, reduces restlessness, insomnia, and uh, disruptive condition. Uh, 
And to increase alpha waves in the meditative state is non-sedating. So the dose is 50 to 200 milligrams, two to four times per day. There's no toxicity uh, or reported side effects. There's no dietary, dietary limits, according to the Japanese Food Additive Association. Daily dose, maximum dose, possibly maybe not up to uh, 1,200 milligrams daily. Plant sterolins, okay? So natural pine sources is a patented blend of plant steroids in the ratio of 100 to 1. It's used in Germany for over 30 years, okay? So what you could do, people who can't slow down their mind, okay, because of too much cortisol or too much norepinephrine, so you can start with alteanins. 100 to 200 milligrams to do four times a day or magnolia. Or you can try uh, five HTP, 50 milligrams, two to three times a day uh, with 100 to 200 milligrams at bedtime. For those trouble staying asleep, you can try melatonin one to six milligrams. Obviously, with all these, uh, you know, supplements, you need to make sure you double check with your GP or your doctor because um, you need to double check with all the other medication that you are taking. Other options would be philodendron, uh, zizifis, which is 365 to 720 milligrams at bedtime. And one of the other important one is Siberian ginseng. Okay. Uh, Ilutirol is sold in the United States as Siberian ginseng. It's obviously a shrub found and grown in Northeast Asia and Japan. It's uh, prescribed for medicinal usage in France, Germany, Russia, and China. It's part used as dried roots and root bark. It is what we call adaptogen. So adaptogen means that it can help you to adapt your immune system and especially your stress hormone level to restore the adrenal glands, okay? It normalizes blood pressure. It helps with atherosclerosis, pyelonephritis, rheumatic heart disease, uh, neurosis, insomnia, Alzheimer's disease, and ADHD. Um, traditional use, include, including usage in chronic fatigue syndrome, diabetes, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, influenza, chronic bronchitis, re reduced toxicity in chemotherapy, can help with herpes simplex and prevent colds and flu. Like what I say, you have to double check with your uh, doctors to make sure. So that's why I put this disclaimer out there. There are many type of active uh, constituents, a long list of them. Um, so obviously uh, the important thing is you need to make sure you double check because sometimes ginseng can increase your blood pressure too high as well. Okay. So what it does that it's an immunomodulation effect on uh, your natural killer cells. Uh, it also inhibits replication of the RNA of viruses. It induces and enhances uh, the interleukin-1 and interleukin-6. Uh, also at the same time, it's anti-inflammatory and neuroprotective effect. It prevents bone reabsorption and so many more um, good uh, effect from it, okay? So one of the other thing is uh, Rhodiola rosea, okay? It is also what part of the, we call it adaptogen. And it's very good in uh, giving you energy, stamina, mood, sexual function, uh, helps with arrhythmia, 
high uh, lipids level, cancer, diabetes, cold and flu. Uh, what it works is that it's got so many active ingredient, ingredients like flavonoids, um, phenylethanoids, cyanoglycosides, so many uh, which is adaptogenic effects, okay? So it can help to limit the adrenergic effects on the heart during stress, so reduce and protect the heart from uh, arrhythmias. It reduces the catecholamines effects and also influence the endorphins as well. Dose would be around 150 to 200 milligrams daily. No known side effects. But again, like I said, you need to double check with your doctor. The other, the next ingredient is ashwagandha, which is a big thing in Ayurvedic treatment. Okay, we call it the Indian ginseng. It's also used in traditional African medicine as well. It helps in arthritis, anxiety, insomnia, tumors, stress, infertility, and fibromyalgia. It reported to have tonic and adaptogenic effects similar to the Panax ginseng. It, uh, prevents myelosuppression in mice treated with three immunosuppressive drugs. Okay, its dose is 450 milligrams, two to three times a day. No known toxicity. Do not use in pregnancy uh, due to uh, potential uh, botifaction effect. Uh, use of caution, especially in narcotics and anxiolytics drugs and sedative drugs. So we've got another active form called RG3, which is RG3 is a class of um, the triterpene saponin called ginsenocytes. Okay, so it helps supports healthy neurotransmitters function in the brain. So it helps in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease as well. So RG3, you can take five milligrams twice a day on empty stomachs, okay? Another one is nicotinamide riboside, NR, okay? It's a form of vitamin B3, niacin, found mainly in cow's milk. NR improves NAD levels in conjunction with nicotinic acid and tryptophan. Uh, NAD is a rate-limiting co-substrate for citoyne enzyme, which is anti-aging uh, effect. And it helps with neuroprotective activity. It's what we call the brain food. Okay, so the commonest dose uh, is 250 to 500 milligrams. Okay, there's a lot of brand for it. So the conclusion is, so it's important that you understand the effects of stress and what it could do to the brain long-term and to the immune system long-term. So it's important to start uh, working on the stress level by uh, de-stressing, to have relaxation, have some break and time out. And also it's important to uh, do not let the high cortisol level cause an effect and injury long-term. And the other important thing is to use adaptogen, which really can help to uh, organize some of this cortisol level and stop the effect of it. So important thing is, please see your doctor if you're worried about some of this condition. Okay, thank you very much for listening. And uh, if you have any question or any topic you would like more information upon, uh, or understand a bit more, you can contact me on info at drirenching.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening. Please listen, subscribe and follow. Me.